My name is Rob Achenkloss, and this is the Holocene Podcast, where we seek knowledge from those creative, adventurous, and bright among us. These individuals are storytellers, entrepreneurs, athletes, designers, and everything else in between. It is my job as the host to take what they have each learned in their own lives and codify their knowledge so that you can use their lessons in your own life. In this episode, I am joined by fellow photographer Patrick Michael Chin. Now, he is someone that I've followed online for a very long time, and I've always wanted to interview him and ask him a variety of questions about everything from what got him into what he does to his fascinating life surrounded by his beautiful pursuits and family. And in this conversation, we talk about all that and more. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation between myself and Patrick Michael Chin. Life is either an incredible adventure or it's nothing at all. Patrick Michael Chin, thank you for coming on my show. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. So I just I always usually usually start off all podcasts with the same question, um, just to, as as a good grounding area. And and that question is, what is the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning? Oh gosh, um, what time is it? I that might be like quarantine specific, I guess, but um, I. I haven't set an alarm in like four weeks, maybe three weeks. Yeah, probably four weeks. And so I've had many late nights up like on PS4 with buddies recently. And just, I don't know. I, I always feel guilty with the kids and everything if I sleep in too late. So depending on when I roll over, I kind of like find the phone or find the alarm. And I'm like, shit, what time is it? Um, but yeah, yeah. Um, it <laughs> seems so basic, but that's kind of what my life is right now. So how, how would you say your routine has changed uh, during this pandemic? I mean, you, you have you have uh, two kids, right? I do have two kids, yeah. So I have a six-year-old daughter and a three-year-old son. Um, and it's, it's weird. It's, like, hard to explain, but I, I feel busier and, like, completely freed up at the same time. Like, the kids being home is tricky like my son wasn't in school anyway so him being home is the usual but my daughter of course is like out of school right now and so that is like for my wife and I primarily my wife she's been so helpful but like a full-time job like trying to help her with her schoolwork and just kind of manage them being busy and um and then on top of that um yeah just kind of like they can't hang out with friends we can't like go to the park like just all these little things that it's like every day is Saturday and it feels, it sounds like a good thing, but it's like with a family Saturday is like your busy day in some ways. And hello, hello. Hey, okay. <laughs> Sorry. I can hear you now. Um, tactical difficulties, everyone. Apologies on that one. Um, so you were saying that your schedules changed mainly because of the fact that you were used to this life where your son who's three is probably about to head to preschool sometime soon. Right. And then your daughter was already in school. So now you have them both in the house all day. So it's like you run out of activities really quickly. Right. I'm home, but, um, we, we were doing the math and I haven't been home without traveling this long, which it's only been, uh, five weeks since my last trip somewhere. But we haven't, I haven't been home for five weeks straight in six years. Holy so, um, yeah, this is, it's pretty crazy. I mean, I, I'm, we're enjoying that aspect of it. I, I, I hate to like chalk it up that we're like having a great time because I know how hard it is for some people, but 
I know that aspect of it has been nice for us to like all be together. Yeah. And so, uh, you do travel a lot for work. Um, and, and, and your work being, how, how would you describe your work to, um, someone you meet in the street or at a bar and how would you describe it to your six-year-old daughter? <laughs> uh, I like the two differences there. Um, the, the quick elevator pitch version that is like, I do lifestyle and commercial work. Um, sorry, photography. I do photography, but I do lifestyle and commercial um, photography. And, um, and so if people are wanting me to flush that out a bit more, it's interesting because when I give advice to younger photographers or when I'm chatting with other photographers in general, I'm always like a big advocate for everyone should have like a niche, re you know, regarding subject matter. Sure. But it's funny when I look at my own work, I don't feel like I have a niche. So I like don't, you know, follow my own advice. But like I, I shoot so many different subject matters. But when I look at it, to me, it all feels very cohesive. But I can understand why it might feel or look from the outside if I just describe it without anyone seeing it that it seems like these things don't work together. But like, I love photographing food and beverage. I love photographing like spaces and I work a lot in hospitality. So like hotels and bars, restaurants, but then on the other side of it, I super love shooting like um, fashion stuff, like not high fashion, but like lifestyle fashion things and um, product work, like in the studio and studio portraits and just all these things that don't necessarily sound like they work, but I do think if someone were to see my portfolio that it would all make sense that um, aesthetically and kind of like tonally it all works and it all has a very similar feeling. And then, sorry, so that's a long-winded version if anyone's having me expand upon it. But to my six-year-old daughter, she just knows that I take pictures of things. I mean, she has so, <laughs> we, she knows that I'm a photographer. She very much enjoys that. And like, we, she does come with me on a good number of like work trips. And I mean, just last week during this quarantine, I had to do a product shoot for a company and they just gave me the product and a key to their studio so that we didn't have to interact. And then um, my kids came with me and assisted me and just kind of hung out since I couldn't bring an assistant. So like she, I don't know that she, that she has a good understanding of like the type of stuff I do, but I do, I do know that she knows I take photos and like it's for people's websites and like social media or whatever else. That's great. And so based on the, the travel, uh, I, there's really kind of two sides of this I want to dive into. The first part is um, travel in your family. So, so how, how is that like? Because if you described or tell someone how much you travel per year on average, obviously this isn't a normal year, but uh, if, if this wasn't going on, like how often are you away from home? We've tried to like do the math. It, it of course varies month by month, but over the course of a year, um, for the last about two or three years, it, it, it's been pretty consistent that I'm gone in total, probably about a, a third to a half of the year. I mean, yeah. like I'll be home for a week or two straight or maybe a week straight, but then I'll be gone for four days and then I'll be, you know, home for another four days and then gone for two days, you know, trips aren't always super long, but some of the work I've been doing for the last year, um, it like does take me away for long stints. So I'll be home for only about a week, maybe less. And then I'll be gone again for, you know, seven, eight days. Um, so it's just, 
it it does vary, but overall, I would say somewhere around a third to half of the year, I'm typically traveling, um, which has its pros and cons. You know, some people love that. I I do tend to enjoy it in a lot of ways still, um, but it of course weighs on you when you have a family um, and people that miss you at home. And yeah, totally. And so, of all those places that you've been recently in the past while, is is there a place that you go to often that you really enjoy or is it in like a favorite place that you really look forward to going back to every time? Um, yeah, there's three. I, I work a lot in Miami and I, I grew up visiting Miami. I'm from Florida. Um, my dad is from Miami and I hated Miami growing up. I just like, I, it was such a, it was mainly the drive there cause we would always drive from Tallahassee. So it's like an eight hour drive. And I just like, we didn't go do things because we were there to see family. So I didn't really understand like what Miami might have to offer. Um, and as I've begun to work there really frequently, I mean, I mean I'm probably in Miami like every three weeks. Um, it, I've come to really love it. I don't know that I could live there, but I, I feel like a local when I'm there though. And I do really enjoy the, the hospitality scene and the people there and all the people I work with have become such good friends. Um, and then Atlanta is another one. Um, I don't know what it is about Atlanta. I mean, it, it just, I love the South. I don't think, I think growing up, I hated that I was from the South. I was like kind of embarrassed about it. And I just, and it's confusing when you're like part Asian and growing up in like a weird town in the South, like Tallahassee. But um, <laughs> yeah. I've come to learn that I really deeply love the South and, and Atlanta has all the good things about the South that, I enjoy while still being a fairly progressive city and it's really diverse in, in every way that you could mean diverse, like, um, socioeconomically, racially, it, it, um, career wise, like there's just so much happening in Atlanta that I really, really enjoy. And I think it adds a lot of richness to that city. And my brother is there and, um, my wife's best friend is there. So, um, we love that city and we're there probably every quarter. And then New York, of course, it feels so cliche, but I just, I'm a busybody and like, I know that it can be frowned upon to like really overvalue just busying yourself, but something about like that culture in New York, it just like juices me up. I love um, the hustle and bustle of New York and um, I, I get so pumped when I'm there and we, we considered moving there for a really long time. Um, and even just last November went and kind of house shopped and finally decided that it's not the right move for us, at least at this point. And we're going to stay in Orlando and, and really buy in deeper. Um, so, yeah. Totally. And, and that's where I am now. You know, my dad lives in uh, Westchester outside of uh, New York now. So that's that's where I find oh, myself. Nice. Um, I'm right now. And, and, and it's, it's true. It's, it's I, I love that busyness of, New York, and I, I 100% subscribe to what you're saying. But, you know, having lived there pretty much like half of the past four years in different stints between mm-hmm. different projects and stuff, I, I think it's like there are other places I want to live first. New York will always be there, right? Um, exactly. Yes, that's a good way to put it. And so I'm actually headed out to Seattle uh, in about a month, which I'm, I'm stoked because, like, I've always loved the Pacific Northwest, and I've always loved, uh, you know, like, I've, I grew up in Massachusetts on the water, uh, so, you know, being close to the ocean is huge for me. And then like, obviously access to mountains out there and, and skiing and, and things. In the oh world. man, you're going to have a blast. We just took the kids to Seattle. I can't remember what month it was. It was like in the fall of last year. It was maybe like November or 
um, October and we just had the best time. Yeah. And, and I visited a few times with, with friends out there and, uh, yeah, every, every time I go, I'm like, why don't I move here? I feel like like, this place is great. Um, it's, it's remote as, as my dad jokes, he's like, you and your sister picked the two farthest places away from me to fly. Uh, and that's exactly why I think we have a hard time considering ever moving anywhere like that. I mean, we're not looking to move anymore, but I just like, we've talked about Portland and Seattle in the past and we're like, all of our family is in the Southeast or the East coast. And it just, I don't think as a person that I just like value my relationship so much in my community here, I, I think it would be very hard for me to do the, what you're saying, like to be the polar opposite coast and corner of the country. And um, yeah, I don't know that I would deal well with that. And sure. And, and I think that while I'm still single and 25, like hopping on a six hour flight to Boston to see my mom or New York to see my dad, like it's, it's, it's trivial. Right. But if, if I had two kids and a wife and a dog that I had to find someone to take care of, like it uh-huh. changes yep. the whole picture. Right. It does. And so going on traveling, um, uh, when you do these shoots, you obviously take all your gear with you. Uh, you want to talk about like the process of, of traveling, and I'm sure you have it down to an exact science on how you pack, how you travel, and how you bring like <laughs> all the stuff with you. Yeah, that has been like, uh, what do you want to call it? Like a work in progress. I feel like I've kind of figured out my method over a lot of trial and error, but um yeah, so I always, um, I don't know, like the people that might listen to this, how much understanding they might have of photography, but like, I, I love using lighting. And so I have two lights that I always travel with. Um, and they're, they're fairly small. They fit in a Pelican case, but it's, um, it's substantial. And so I have a Pelican, one Pelican case, it's my lights. And then I have another slightly smaller Pelican case that I carry on the plane always. That's my cameras and my lenses. So the, the light case gets checked always. Um, and then the camera case gets carried on. And then I always carry on a little tote with my like computer and hard drives and stuff. Um, so I have the things that like in the event that all hell broke loose and I lost all my bags, at least I had like the essentials. Um, and then, um, I always check two other bags. So I bring, um, a bag of my modifiers. So like my umbrellas and, um, soft boxes and, clips and all the like little kind of grip things like tape and all the kind of odds and ends I might need. It's just in this big, long kind of soft hard bag that's meant for just kind of odds and ends. Um, and it's quite large. So it usually ends up when you like get off the plane at like the oversized baggage area. And then, um, uh, lastly, my bag of like my stuff. So I have just like a tote or not a tote, a duffel. Um, of just like my clothes and things like that. And I try and pack as little as possible. Like I bring as few pants and shoes as I can. And that way I'm just basically like changing shirts and underwear and socks every day. Um, it's just like as much, as little as I can bring the better. And if I'm bringing, if I'm on a trip short enough, I won't even bring my duffel. I'll pack my clothes in with all my modifiers and stuff. That way it's one less bag and it's just a little easier to get around the airport. Cause if I'm not traveling with my assistant, like if he's meeting me there, um, then that means I'm navigating the airports by myself until I get to the final destination. And it's just easier to have less bags, obviously. Um, but sometimes the assistant's flying with me and it's a lot easier to like kind of get all my shit around. And your assistant is based down near you in Florida? 
Um, it varies. I mean, recently I've, I've been using a guy out of South Florida a lot, an old friend of mine, um, that he's just, he's got a really open schedule and he knows what he's doing and he works hard. And, um, previous to that, it was a friend, um, here in Orlando that he worked for me almost exclusively for like three years and he was awesome as well. And, um, my wife does it for me pretty frequently, but it's, it's always like a, do we want to look for childcare for the kids so you can come or, or should, you know, do you want to stay behind and I'll just bring AJ or David or someone else that I work with. Um, cause she is great. Um, it's some of bigger shoots when there's a lot of grip gear and a lot of heavy stuff. Uh, you know, she's like, Oh, no, thank you. I'm going to just let you hire someone. But if it's like simple stuff that, um, I mean, she knows how I work. She's a great photographer in her own right. So she, she's really helpful if it's something that's kind of a little easier or shorter of a trip or, you know, if the circumstances align. Totally. And I'm, I'm sure in the past you've been able to, cause you've shot a lot of hotels and bars and different things like that. I'm sure you've been able to finagle some sort of like a free weekend getaway involved with <laughs> shooting in the hotels. So it's one of the best parts of working in hospitality is all the perks. I love like, I don't know. It's it, like a weird part of my personality, but I love like kind of knowing the people on the inside of things. Like I get some sort of weird joy out of like when I go to a restaurant locally, even if I haven't like worked with them per se, like becoming a regular somewhere and just like knowing the people that kind of make things happen. And so, yes, like as you work with hotels and bars and restaurants, the most fun part is like kind of being treated a little special and like having some fun and like uh, someone walking by and saying hello while you're having dinner, like little things that like, I don't know, it seems so silly and trivial, but I love that stuff. And and I understand that. I think anyone likes being a local and likes getting to know, you know, how, how things are made. And I think that, you know, as a photographer, I think most photographers that I interview or talk to, or even my own close friends, it's like, the best photographers have like a significant appreciation for craft, right? Um, and yeah. I think that that loans itself a lot to hospitality, especially when it gets into, you know, I, I half the time I see the stuff that you're shooting and I, I don't want to, the last thing I want to do is like summarize your work, but I see a lot of work with cocktails. Um, and I think that uh -huh. there's like definitely appreciation. I always have like at a bar, if I'm at like a nice cocktail bar, like I'm usually paying attention to the person making my drink. Cause I just love watching oh, the yeah. like art of go going into it, you know? Um, it's amazing. I, I do think of that, you're right though that is what drew me to food and beverage in general is like i love people that take their work seriously and it's 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 pretty easy these days to find people like that in food and beverage that really have a, a respect for their craft and are really trying to do something unique and interesting and i yeah i love that part of it i do the same exact thing i always at restaurants with my wife or with friends like always want to sit at the bar and just be able to walk or watch and, and shoot the shit with the bartenders and just like see kind of, you know, what they're doing and, and just you know, appreciate it. And I, I'm a big, like, it's easy to get me excited. I'm really excitable. And so I love just like pouring on the praise if they're just like killing it or doing something fun. Um, yeah. Totally. And, and I think this is a good segue. Uh, and then I want to loop back to the lighting talk, but, uh, mm -hmm. You have, you know, we, we killed the video in this because of bandwidth issues, but behind you to your right, you have this massive, almost like bookshelf of, <laughs> of, of, of spirits and alcohol, right? Um, so do you have, like, I, I guess if I were to ask phrases and do a question, it's like, um, 
I'm sure you have stories, but like, tell me the story of you deciding that you were going to have almost like a library of this. And, and what do you do with that? Do you have favorite drinks you like to make? Or are you being entertainers with your wife? Like, is it just a personal <laughs> project or? I'll try and keep it short and sweet. So like as short and sweet as I can, but it's not going to be short and sweet. Um, That's perfectly but, fine. So when I was in college, I, I never drank before I was 21. I just like, I hadn't. And when I first started getting into like trying some cocktails and stuff, like I first dove into like all the really shitty, like, I don't know, like white Russians and really sweet, rich drinks. And there was this liquor store on the way from my parents' house where I would visit a lot. And then the house I was living in, in Tallahassee called Market Square Liquors. And as I was starting to like dip my toes into trying whiskey, I would always stop there and be like, Hey, what should I buy? And they would, they would always point me towards um, what's called a barrel pick. It's like when a store or a person or whoever like gets a single barrel from certain distilleries or whatever, it can be from any distillery, but as opposed to it being like a batch of different whiskeys, that is just like their kind of standard offering at every liquor store in the country. It's like this liquor store or this person chose this one barrel and it's only you know 100 something bottles or whatever and so it's just a more unique offering and they would always kind of point me towards those and so unknowingly i was trying really fun kind of unique things from them fast forward a good number of years i'm in nashville visiting a friend and um this was probably eight years ago seven years ago and i i told him hey i think i'm gonna drive to kentucky tomorrow and go to willet i remember having a lot of willets in uh college and really enjoying them and he's like, you should text this guy, Taylor, and um, he could probably hook you up. And long story short, I, Taylor exposed me to this whole world of like secondary markets. It's it's no different than like secondary markets for like shoes or, or anything other collector things. I just had no idea that there was this whole world of like collector whiskey. And oh, my yeah. wife now calls it my like adult Pokemon cards. But um, <laughs> that's amazing. I, it just like, I know I'm a collector at heart and it's just like something about knowing that there's all these whiskeys out there that I know I enjoy because I had a bunch of them growing up and well, not growing, you know what I mean? And like, yeah. I, I had a bunch of them previously and I still had a few around. And so I just started like in my free time, like buying and selling and trading whiskey um, in these secondary groups and just fell in love with it. it. It wasn't just the fact that it's rare, but it's like delicious. And I met all these fun guys through it and it connected me with all these like local um, whiskey so like society things. And, and so I got really involved in, in some weird way with like, you know, whiskey culture. And so I, I um, yeah, the shelf in my office is all bourbons and rye. Um, and then separate from that, but still kind of along my like collector hobbyist nature, when my wife and I first got married, we were both like trying to, um, learn about cocktails. And so we had a goal in our first year of marriage to make a different cocktail every night, which I, when I, when we came up with that goal, didn't seem crazy. And then as you buy all these different spirits to like try new things from these books, you end up with like a bar cart that's absurdly big for a home bar. And so we have a cabinet in another room. That's like all of our cocktail stuff but the stuff in my office is like just drinking whiskey it's like i just drink it neat or um, whatever else but in the other room that you can't see is all the stuff we like mix and you know make all the negronis and all the other things with 
That's amazing. So to kind of use a Pokemon analogy, what's your <laughs> what, what what's what's your first gen Charizard? Like what what is like your first, <laughs> What what is your what is your bottle that you will like if you see or hear someone has you'll drop anything and everything to go and make sure you can get your hands on it. So this goes back to that one store, but it's it's more of a nostalgic um, thing for me. But it turns out that as I dove deeper into like this online whiskey world, that that one store in Tallahassee, Market Square Liquors in Tallahassee, Florida, of all places, like which if, if you're not familiar, it's just it is the state capital, but it's a very small kind of behind the times city. And um, I it turns out that their store is super well respected in the whiskey world for having amazing barrel picks over the years. And specifically with um, Willets, which are um, my favorite bourbons um, kind of out there in Rise, and specifically like their single barrel um, family estate bottles, which are near impossible these days to come by. But they did a number of Willet single barrel picks that if they come on the market, I I will snatch them up so quick. I mean, I can hardly afford them anymore. I'll, I'll probably have to sell something to buy one if I, if I come across one, but yeah, they're, they're just fun for me. They are unbelievable as well, but they are, they're also just fun because many of them I probably had in college and paid, you know, next to nothing for it and probably mixed it into like a, a shitty old fashioned or something and had no idea like the gold mine I was sitting on. And now these days I like look at them with such reverence and drink them in such small portions so that I can savor it. And, um, yeah, it's it's just so funny how how little I understood back then, but I I love them now, and I have a good number of Willet bottles that that store picked now. That's great. And going off that, you know, I think whiskey is almost you could make it akin comparison to sneakers or other things because they they don't really lose value, right? Uh, if, especially if they're the oh, rare. Yeah. Uh, there was like a good, there was like a heartwarming story that, that I don't know if you saw. It was actually in Florida, but um, this restaurant that was like struggling to keep their, you know, used to be four hundred. Oh, I clothes. saw this. Yeah, and they sold a twenty year, a twenty five year bottle of Rip Van Winkle, um, and then uh, they wanted twenty grand for it, which is honestly a very good price for that that kind of bottle. And uh, some some veteran locally like gave them forty grand for it, saying like, please exactly just keep it open, uh, which is like not incredible. Only, yeah, it's great. Um, but also like that's, it's really good. I, I haven't had anything that nice ever, but, um, my mom is also a big, uh, she's a big bourbon fan. Um, I'm more of a rye person personally, but man, I, I respect know. that. I'll have to send you a little rye sample here. I've got some good stuff. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, absolutely I tried all that Rip Van Winkle stuff except for, yeah, that 25 year. I have a buddy that has one that has offered to share it, but I, we just haven't made it happen yet, but I've never tried that one. Yeah, and at you know a thousand dollars a shot uh, equivalent, you know it's like yeah exactly. You, you better pick your uh, your company with that one uh, <laughs> yes. wisely. Uh, and so let, let's kind of switch gears again back to, back to lighting. So I think the first time I ever followed you, I don't know how. I think you just popped on my explore page one day, and it was a photo of I think what is your office. And oh, um, I was actually curious, like when we may have connected or or how you kind of came across. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was honestly 2018. um, And then I followed you because it was cool. And then my girlfriend at the time, 
she followed you because it was like she was just looking at other photographers and then she stayed for the kids because they're you know your kids are adorable <laughs> right uh and they i stayed are, I for agree. like a, a good mix of like you're just like the, the the photos you were taking overall and like this the way you captured your life so but the most amazing photo to me was this one photo and it looks like it's the middle of the day but you say in the caption that you took it at night um, <laughs> yes yeah i know what you're talking about and, and so and that to me is a is like wild so so how have you used lighting in these commercial shoots, especially in like very dark places uh, like bars and hotels to, you know, trick the the art really, right? Is, is you have a, you know, that means you can pretty much like, if you even if you have like a north facing a hotel room, you can pretty much fake it like it's a bright sunny morning, you know, with, with easterly sun coming in, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, um, where to start? I guess I got into lighting when, when, when I got into photography full time for, for a few years straight for about two years, I was like, I'm a natural light photographer. You know, like I, I was such a purist about it. And I just, while I do in hindsight, still agree that natural light, if you have the right conditions is the best light. Um, it's just so hard to always get it right. And like, I ran into so many scenarios where in Florida, especially the weather is just so finicky. So in the summer, like it's going to rain every day around like four o'clock. And if you're scheduled for a shoot around then, like it, and you're relying on it to be kind of like a certain mood, like bright or sunny or whatever else you're screwed. If it gets cloudy out, because now you have way less light coming into whatever room you're shooting in. So I ran into a few instances where I got paid well to come out and do a shoot wherever. Like I remember one that sticks in my mind forever. I won't say what the place was, but like it was a restaurant in California. I'll just say that. And I, I, they flew me out there and I didn't bring any lighting. I had just started dipping my toes into lighting a little bit back home, but I didn't own my own stuff yet. And like, I, I didn't really know what I was doing with it yet. So I didn't feel comfortable with it. And I, I went there like I do with most shoots, just kind of hoping that I'd have the right conditions to shoot. And it turned out that the restaurant got very little natural light. And the one place that had windows was the, behind the bar. So it was backlit with natural light. And it was just so, so, so difficult. And I looked at the photos as we were shooting and just, I knew in my heart that they sucked, but I had to kind of, for the client's sake, like kind of hype them up a little bit. And I just felt so shitty the whole time about doing it. And I knew that I could do better if I had better experience with lighting and if I owned lighting in general. And so I left that shoot just so frustrated with myself and I went home and immediately bought my own lights um, and started just diving in kind of head first. So that was probably like 2016-ish when I finally bought my own kit. And then after that, I basically started hiring way more experienced either photographers or like cinematographers or kind of like film school guys that had a better understanding of lighting to come on my shoots and do the lighting for me. And sometimes I'd pay them like better than I'm getting paid just so I can watch what they're doing because I saw the value in, in learning. And so I started kind of, that was my journey to kind of picking it up on my own. And, and the goal, that was a long way to say the goal was because I just never wanted to run into another scenario where like, if the, the setting outside or whatever else, you know, wasn't right, that I couldn't kind of meet the moment. And so, um, 
yeah, I play around a lot at my house um, just because I get bored and, you know, I've been doing it a lot even during quarantine, just like setting up the lights and just shooting random stuff to kind of just like try what would it look like if I did this and this and this. So in the office, I do it frequently because it's for me my favorite room in the house and it's got all my little knickknacks in it. And so I... I basically wanted to see that was, I think the first time I'd ever tried it was that office photo. And I wanted to try and see if I could make it look like middle of the day or sunset or whatever else during the middle of the night. And I had first maybe experimented with it earlier in that day when there was some sunlight out, but I also had lighting outside and it was working well. But what I was frustrated by was that I was not as in control of the colors as I would like, because I've gotten a little addicted to, um, I love shooting with light because I can control the colors so, so, so well, because I know what the color balance of my lights is. And um, sorry if I'm getting in the weeds a little bit. No, this is perfect. um, So I then just stopped what I was doing and waited till it was dark outside. Cause I was like, if I wait till there's no ambient light, then I'm really in control of the colors. So then once it was dark out, then I started playing around and, you know, got the kids to bed and did all that. And so then I probably took that photo at like 1am and I had two lights going and I had tried it for so long with like a light inside and a light outside. And I kind of tried all the variations of things I'd picked up on up to that point of how to light a room and how to kind of light a scene. And I couldn't get it to look right until I put both my lights outside. Um, and this is totally a stylistic choice. Like you can light from within a room, obviously, like it's a very, very common thing to keep your lights inside of a room and on your subject or whatever else. But for a lot of what I do, I, I really like for it to look um, like natural light. And I like to look like it's um, coming from a source, like a window. And so if there are real windows in the in the frame or in the in the kind of setting that are going to be shown at all i definitely want the bulk of my light to feel like it's coming from there so that it it to your brain if you're just glancing at it if i hadn't mentioned that there was lighting you're just going to kind of instantly believe it like you're not going to even question that i did anything kind of tricky and so i like to have one huge soft light like either through a scrim or through a softbox or whatever else but the biggest one i can find that way it's the biggest kind of just softest crazy you know light coming through just a few feet off the window um and that's more for just kind of spill and then just to kind of sell the fact that it is not quote unquote natural light i like to have a little further off um one light without a modifier with maybe a slight orange gel or something just to kind of kick some hard light with shadows through the window so that way you don't even question why there's so much light coming from the window it now makes contextually so much sense because you see the the streaks of hard light and you're like oh well that's why it's so freaking bright in this photo um yeah so i just i love it and i love shadows and dynamics and things like that so i love a good hard light um, when I can kind of get away with it. And so to that point, you know, if, if you have carte blanche on a shoot and deciding how it goes, I, have you gotten to a point now where almost you were like at a bar and you say, you can close all the windows and I'll still, you know, I, I, I honestly have more control that way if I have no other natural light coming in or is it, you still like a good. Balance? Oh yeah. I mean, 99% of the shoots I do, um, I feel like I, I can kind of dictate how we approach it and, most of the time, I will um, 
I will request that they turn off all the lights or turn them to their lowest setting if they're on a dimmer that way they still look on like if you see them in the photo if you can see any light fixtures it doesn't look like we turned all the lights off because sometimes that looks a little tacky i think you still see the bulbs glowing but if you turn it to its lowest setting it's not spilling like color all over the frame and then you're dealing with mixed like white balances sure so i'll turn the lights as low as they can go and then i'll just take over and, and light it however i want um so yeah i oftentimes that's like a light or two outside and then one kind of hidden out of frame on my subject inside with a smaller modifier or you know whatever else so two to three lights um but it i have a blast doing that that to me is what makes this still so fun just is that every shoot is different and every room now that i am lighting with a lot of my shoes probably 90 percent of them every room is different and every you know you can't always do the window trick thing and you can't always do whatever else so you get to like come up with a lot of creative solutions to um getting the right amount of light for a good image and and deciding like what the mood of that image is going to be based on if you're going to do some sort of like fake natural light thing or if you're going to really lean into the kind of ambient light in a room and just assist it a little bit on the subject or whatever else and so you always to me came across as a photographer that that so like i i genuinely put two photographer photographers in two categories and all this is like definitely oversimplification people that you know want to get as good of a shot as they can in terms of lighting and, and composition and, and everything else like that when they're shooting it and then do minimal post and then the people that are opposite that are like they just take a photo and then they just go crazy in photoshop but you to me seem like someone that is very minimal with editing is, is that true Oh, it's very true. And it's more that I'm, I don't look down on that style. I just am horrible at editing. Like I just, <laughs> yeah. like I truly, and all the people that work for me with that can attest to it. But I, I hire a lot of people to help me with retouching, um, primarily this guy, Caleb. And um, I, it's because I don't know how to use Photoshop. I never have, I never learned it. Um, and so I, I do my own like coloring and kind of curves and stuff like that. But beyond that, my editing process is quite simple. Um, and I try to not do things like multiple exposures and all this. It's just like, to me, that complicates the process. And I would much rather sit there and spend an extra 30 minutes to an hour getting the shot right in camera. That way I don't have to spend 30 minutes to an hour of frustrating time in post trying to assemble the right exposures to send off to get edited um, into one frame or something. Um, because I enjoy the act of taking the photo and working on it. And again, that's like the fun problem solving side of it to me. So if I have to spend an extra, you know, however much time to get it right in camera, I totally will always. Like that is always my preference is to sit there and be meticulous on set that way i don't have to be as ridiculous and meticulous after the shot yeah and and i think that's in line with most photographers um i think studio photographers are more just like you know they're working with live people or athletes and they're like just take the shot we'll, we'll fix it in post you know mm -hmm. um so going off of that um i want to backtrack and talk more about you know how your photography career has kind of expanded so what did you want to be when you grew up like did you want to be a photographer did you always use a camera as a kid or is this something that kind of developed at a later age um well one funny thing about the photography stuff is my mom she was never a photographer but she always had 
a camera um, on our trips, like a, a 35 millimeter, like I think hers was a Nikon maybe, but it was like, from what I understand about it, I think it was a really good camera at the time. And I hated that she was always taking photos on our trips because it would like, I just wanted to be a kid and like not be in photos all the time. And I remember hating how much she would want to take pictures of everything we were doing. And it's just so ironic that that's like what I do now. And she was totally just like documenting our family. She was never a, even a hobbyist photographer. That was just like, you know, making memories. Um, but when I was growing up, I wanted to be a pilot. I mean, all the way up until like almost college, like through, um, through like middle to late of high school, I still thought I was going to maybe pursue being a pilot and, my parents were really pushing me um, to be an architect because I was, you know, real Asian of me, but I was very good at math and um, I loved to draw. Um, and so I was always like very visual. And um, But I just wanted to be a pilot until I realized that probably the best route for that was like joining the military and like, I don't know, I just didn't want to go that route. And so as I relinquished that, uh, that desire, um, it more shifted towards music. And I, I thought I was in all these bands in college and I thought we were going to really make it. And so as I kind of moved on from my high school self, I really leaned into this new like college music Patrick self. And um, I was definitely like a, you know, indie musician wannabe, whatever for almost a decade there um as i got into photography at the same time but photography was my hobby and music was like my career um and then that slowly shifted and flipped and now i feel like a hobbyist musician like i i'm desperate to play music more and be back in bands but it's just not practical um and i now do photography full-time and and so it's just it's funny how it's kind of all shifted um but yeah pilot to musician to photographer. Yeah. A lot to unpack there. Um, you know, the, <laughs> the, the first thing I want to mention is like, uh, you know, you actually live now and you're one of the, you know, like best aviation colleges in America being Embry-Riddle, um, in Daytona beach. Yeah. Um, which is ironic because I actually went to the Arizona one where I studied engineering. Uh, this is the reason why I know that. Um, and, and so similar thing for me, it's like, I, I love, I, I don't do anything related to engineering now, but like that was my background. And I think it's like, as, mm -hmm. as much as I enjoyed playing music, like a part of me growing up also was like, hey, you know, I'd love to pursue music in college. But my problem was, you know, I was just that asshole that liked beating on the drum set and playing in metal bands and rush cover bands. Like I didn't want to learn. <laughs> I, rule. I didn't, I didn't want to learn music theory. Like I, I didn't, no, I, I, didn't I didn't care either. about I that. Suck at theory. Yeah. And so that's when I decided, you know, like, this isn't for me. Uh, I'm going to go do engineering and I'll figure it out. And then at the end of engineering school, I was like, you know, that was fun. But I, I would, excuse me, be happy to never step foot inside like a Boeing or like a Lockheed Martin in my lifetime. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. Um, I, I now desperately want to be a recreational pilot. And my wife knows this and she's a, a bit reluctant to have me pursue something so reckless, but, um, I just like, I feel it in my bones. Like I need to learn to fly. Um, I just like, I have a good number of friends that have their recreational license and, um, it just like, I've gone up with them and, you know, little two and four seater planes quite a bit. It's just so fun. Um, I yeah, sorry. You, the, I, the last word I got was like, 
uh, going up in planes with friends, two to four people. It was so fun. Then it just oh dropped. yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> sorry, I, all the same. With uh, sorry, there's lawn guys here, like right outside my window now. This is quarantine problems. Just having to deal with you not being in a studio with me or something. But um, oh, that's fine. Uh, but yeah, I I have a good number of friends that have their license and and have taken me up, and I've just had such a good time like flying around in planes like that. And some of my friends have like shown me some of the basics. Um, but I desperately want that to be something like as a hobby that I pursue in the future or near future. Um, definitely not a career anymore, but no. I'd love to be able to fly like a small plane and, and rent them occasionally and just kind of go around. Yeah, totally. Well, next time you're up in New York, um, my, my uncle, both my uncles, uh, are recreational pilots. They're like full-time lawyers during the day, but, um, they, it's like, it's their, it's their effuse. It's their, you know, thing that keeps Dude, them sane that's on the weekends. So fun. You know? Yes, um, exactly. Yeah. And so yeah, my, my uncle actually has a plane up in Connecticut, right, you know, like an hour train inside the city. So next time you're up in New York, I'll I'll happily uh connect you too. But Dude. you know yeah. um it's uh, to your wife's point, you know, it it is like it's not as safe as, as staying inside all day, but you know, like <laughs> right. you, you have a higher chance of, you know, dying in something bad happening to you and being like an uber driver or you know driving to the market than you do in a plane you know so for sure i just i know i'm like a reckless person by nature to be honest so um, (laughs) So i think she just knows she just knows that i'm a risk taker and i yeah i think it it's more about my personality than it is the act of flying (laughs) <laughs> and I think my uncle's in the same boat. He said that the the he, you know because I think he's he's full fully rated pilot up to commercial. Um, and the thing that he said was most fun for him to do was he did this aerobatic gliding school out in the desert of Arizona. And he said, "Oh, that, that sounds badass." And he said it was cool because it's like I, I've been gliding before too, and it's great because you get brought up to an altitude, then you basically like you know your fuel is your height, and so if you want to trade. If you want to speed up, you have to descend. And basically, so you're always trading off this like momentum exchange of elevation for speed, right? And then if you if you cut it close, like you don't have the power to like cut yourself out of a dive. And it's like you're you're basically either gonna eject with and hopefully you have enough room for your parachute or you're not. And that's definitely the more reckless side of, of the aviation oh stuff. Um, but I, I recommend that as like maybe maybe once the kids are, are grown up, maybe that that'll, that'll be your yeah. twilight career. Um, and also the ultralight. You know, I have I have a friend up in uh, Michigan that that does like the like the lawn chair, like you know you put like the lawnmower style ultralights where they just like put up a parachute and they just you know put around at 500 feet above the lake. Um, yeah. You know, I, th- I think in Florida, it's harder because of like the weather you have there constantly. It's like the, the last thing you want to do is like get caught in the thermal from a local thunderstorm uh, when you're on an ultralight. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't make it uh, good. So I, I kind of switching gears slightly again, because um, I know we, we do have limited time, but um, you seem like someone to me, like myself, that's that tries to be as productive as possible and tries to build systems um, throughout their uh, your own life to help you you know navigate everything easier and it was actually kind of fortuitous because you responded to one of my emails uh with an email and it said send via superhuman and this is ironic because like just launching my own company i was like been looking for like something to fix my email and i like reached out to them and i i got on board and, and i have to say like thank you for introducing me to this part one but also do you want to talk more <laughs> about like your 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 constant it seems like a constant strive to always be more productive um 
I would say that that is a bit of a stretch for me, maybe. Like, I am very good at being productive in certain arenas of my life. Um, and and separately, I'm, like, horribly unproductive with other areas. Like, it is – my wife and I talk about this a lot. I, I have kind of a, a, a superpower in some ways that's also, like, my downfall – but I am so good at giving like 150% to things that excite me um, and that are fun for me or that are kind of like, I don't know. Yeah, exciting is, is the best word for it. Um, and things that I don't care about, it is very, very, very hard for me to even fake it and do it well. And so where that started to play out in my life originally was like with school. Like I hate school. Um and so I always tested well, but I just like never went to class. I never did my homework. I never like I always just wanted to kind of coast by on like the testing um, and just kind of get it done with. And so, yeah, I, I never finished college. It was hard for me to like no matter how many years I spent there floundering. Um, I, it was like I was never going to get it right because I was never going to give it the attention it deserved. And so in that way, I do think it's bad. And I, I've been let go from a lot of jobs over the years that I just stopped doing a good job because I, I'm really bad with rules that I think are arbitrary. Um, and total and, there. Yeah. yeah. And it's hard for me to fake it. And I, in some bad part of my personality, I really do think that this is a negative thing. I'm just bad with authority. If I think that these, whatever rule is arbitrary, like I want to push back on it. Something deep in me, like wants to prove to them that it's bad. And so I don't know how I got entirely there, but I will say that like that does play out in the systems in my life. Like I'm really good at organizing kind of my work life and um, and a lot of like my family time. But I'm also like very bad at like certain things around the house that like I should pick. Like I won't notice some little thing wrong like on on the baseboards of our house. I'm just like coming up with dumb examples, but like. I just will look straight past it because I'm so hyper-focused on my things that are like, you know, on my mind at, in the moment. Um, and so, yeah, I coming up with systems for work didn't take long because I love it. And I just like, I do love what I do most days. Um, the emailing part of it is maybe the part I'm worst at, which is why Superhuman was like something I tried out just to kind of help me parse through faster and easier and it i think it's been helpful i hate that it's freaking 30 dollars a month i think that sucks but agreed there um if it was like 10 dollars a month i think it'd be a no-brainer but um but yeah i um but when it comes to like the shooting and the editing and the scheduling and the booking all the travel and all the like nuance kind of admin stuff that goes into photography i love it like i thrive on finding systems for it and doing you know, all the scheduling and kind of making it all work. Um, but yeah, I don't know if that fully answers what you're saying, but I no, totally did. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, you're, you're also a fellow Delta medallion as well. I think we've talked about this before. Yeah. Baby. Yeah. Um, yeah, I hit, I hit diamond for the first time last <laughs> year, which I was stoked on. And, and I am so jealous. <laughs> and, and dude, the only thing that got me is like, I was working for this job um hold on actually if you wait two seconds um i can i can actually say it today is like the first day i can actually talk about this ironically um let me see i just need to check my bank accounts because let's see 
It's pending. It's pending. Cool. So I just got my last severance payment because I was laid off in the end of February from this job. Um, and I wasn't allowed to talk about it until I got my last payment, severance payment, which was literally an hour ago. Wow. Um, and okay. Sorry? Oh, I was just saying, wow, that's crazy. I, I've never heard of like not being able to talk about it like that. Well, I, I'm allowed to talk about it, but it's just like, I, I try to like be careful with the words I use only because sure. you know they, they still are want you know have money for me and stuff like that which is just obvious yeah um but it was one of those jobs where and literally if I were to regurgitate what you said it's like there were so many stupid systems they had and I was like this could be done such a better way like I refuse to adhere to this system um and I am that is me yes. And, yeah. and I feel like part of one of the reasons I probably, like, I, I think I'm a pretty intelligent human. Like, I think I do really good work. But, like, there was definitely a lot of pushback for me from time to time. And I think that that definitely was part of the reason why I was laid off. But, like, it was a blessing and a curse because, like, I, I hated working there. Um, and it was a temporary job. And um, it then allowed me to, like, finally say, you know what? Like, I'm going to go. And I, I took, like, a, a week off. And I was like, cool. And then this shit started hitting the fan, like, the pandemic. So I was like, all right. So now is the time where it's like, Let's buckle down. Let's build up those ideas that I've been wanting to build up forever. Let's let's you know hit up those people that always wanted to work with me, and then and start going. And as soon as I did that, I was like, I should have done this fucking years ago. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, and I'm sure the same thing with photography. It's like you, you you go into it and you're like, wow, this is actually a lot of fun. This could be my job. And you're like, oh wait, it is my job. You know, um, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure you, you're in the same vein as me where it's like when you go to these shoots where you're like nerding out like a kid trying to light it perfectly and like having the time of your life and meeting cool people like that's not work. You're just you're just loving life. Right. Oh, 100 percent. I mean, I think as an extrovert, like that's totally what draws me to the type of work I do is I love like how many people I get to meet and work with. And I think it's why I like the commercial side of things as often as I can be doing it because they're bigger sets. So like it's more people to like go get stoked around and like work with a team. And I'm a big proponent of like, I think I do better work with a big team. So the, the more people I can kind of get involved, the better. Um, yeah. It's, it's so much fun. Yeah. It, and, and so what I, where I was going with that, we were talking about double diamonds is, is the only reason why I hit diamond. It's like the miles I was good on, but the spend is, ridiculous like fifteen thousand dollars is is, is, so a, hard. is a ma and even even you like you fly a lot but you know it's still a lot like it's a lot of travel and the only thing that put me over was the fact that they had two offices um company that will not be named uh which not hard to mm -hmm. figure out if you look up my name um is in memphis and boston like their two headquarters okay. right and uh so the boston and memphis like corridor which goes through atlanta obviously um the flights were always a grand round trip because there was like, it was some weird Jeez. thing with like all the consultants coming from Boston and back. So I had, uh -huh. I had six trips in three months because I started working for them in September of last year that were like a grand each. So I got like 6K in spend just from six trips. <laughs> and that's what pushed me over. Right. I was like, great. And then once I had it, I, I realized I was like, okay, in the future, if even if I'm like a few grand away, like it's worth it me hopping on a flight to get it now because I'm realizing like platinum is great, but the the benefits that diamond gives you, especially the global upgrades, are worth that extra couple grand you might have to spend to get there. I know it is. I just don't think I'll ever even be close enough to like have that question at the end of the year. Like I don't think I'm always pretty like uh, for three years in a row now. I think I've been platinum, but I'm not even scratching the surface of diamond. 
Well, you might this year if they roll over your MQMs, you know. Um, and, and That'd be epic. I didn't even consider that they might do that. They, oh, they are doing that. So, so I don't know if you saw this, but um, they're extending all lead status until uh, January uh, 2022. So whatever you have now, Whoa. you'll have all of next year. And then all of your MQMs for this year get rolled over the next year, even if you were to like, if you were to hit diamond and just say about 130,000 and you start over January, mm-hmm. those all roll over in the next year. Um, Whoa, I didn't realize that. I, I missed that, I guess. Yeah, and I, I think spend will still reset. So that's still like the big, like, okay, you still have to hit that. But um, for some people, like I know people that miss it on spend that hit it on MQMs and vice versa. So it might help out some. Mm-hmm. Um, nice, okay. Yeah, but the biggest hack is I have a friend who's based in Switzerland, and if you have an address in your account that's out of the U.S., they don't have an MQD requirement anymore, so it's just MQMs. Um, oh is, my gosh, that's brilliant! <laughs> so, so if you if you have a friend in like Spain or France or you know New Zealand that you can hop on with, then that might be the best the best tactic. Uh, but uh, I'm sure you that's and I could funny. could nerd out about travel all day. Um, <laughs> and I, I guess. I guess I kind of want to move on to the, a question that really culminates few things we talked about. But um, so you know, you're you're a photographer almost full time. You have a camera in your hand most of the time. Uh, you mentioned your wife is also a good photographer in her own right. Um, how have you decided uh, between you and your wife to kind of catalog, uh, you know, raising your family? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I actually wish I did it more um we almost always remember of course to bring out the camera with like special occasions like holidays and and whatnot and birthdays and things but it's honestly easy to forget to have it out um for just everyday stuff i and i love when i do and and there's no formula for kind of when we decide to it's just oftentimes like if the camera's nearby and the kids are doing something cute i'll grab it or something but half the time that's or most of the time that's not the case like it's put away in my office closet and um because i I, we have like a little fuji that's easy to grab and just kind of shoot with whenever but i just for my style i have a hard time editing those photos i don't always love them in the way i love my canon photos and so there's some give and take like i'll bring that camera with us when we go to like disney or you know when we go like to the park or whatever else but um I don't fall in love with the pictures from that as much as I do as when I bring my Canon, but bringing the Canon is a pain in the ass. Um, so, excuse me. So, um, yeah, I mean, we, we don't have like a, a plan for when we document and when we don't, but I do really value having photos of them and kind of our travels. And that is one thing I make sure to never miss. Like the family does travel with me, um, as frequently as we can. Um, so at least a few trips a year, we all go on together uh, and we'll extend it. Like if we're there for work, like we'll add a few days on the front or back end and like just vacation together. And I never miss bringing the camera out to like showing them new places of the country. Um, so we're out of the country when we occasionally do that. And so it's just, it on trips, especially I like document it just like my mother did and probably like drive them crazy. Um, at the moment they seem to enjoy it but i'm wondering when they're my like the angsty age i was when i remember being frustrated with her like probably 13 14 i just like could not stand it and i wonder how they'll feel about it in a few years yeah i was, I was actually about to ask that question but uh you know i i think i think three and six are at that age where it's still like cool 
And I remember my dad, same thing, also loved to take pictures of us growing up. Uh, dad and mom both did. And I think it was six. My sister was six. She All she wanted to do is like put on new dress up and have my dad take photos of her. And I was like yes. 10 and I was getting near, I was like, when I hit sixth grade for me, I was just like, get the fucking camera out of my face. Like, do not put that <laughs> yes. near me. And so like all of our Christmas cards are like, that's the only photos of me. And looking back at it, I'm like, okay, well, I wish there were more photos of me, but my parents were good about like taking photos of me without really knowing I was getting photos taken of, which I, I later appreciate. Yeah. Right? Um, that's probably a better approach. I try and sneak them in occasionally, but they often know when I'm doing it because it's just within my nature, like, which is a good and bad thing. But when I do pull out the camera, sometimes I begin to like art direct or make them redo something or whatever else. And it's, it's no longer what it was in some ways. So like, I should try and be better about keeping things just silly and candid, um, so that maybe they will not resent it as much. And Yeah. And I think it's also, you know, going off that the beauty of what is now become uh, like mobile and smartphone photography, like iPhones now take really good photos comparatively for oh, like, incredible what they are. pictures. Yeah. And, and I wonder, like, you know, think about 10 years ago, right? 2010, that was the iPhone 3GS when I think they just first introduced video. Or maybe it's the iPhone 4. So like just when they, it was like a four megapixel camera for the first time. And think about it, you know, where uh -huh. everything is now. 10 years from now, when your daughter's six, excuse me, 16, your son's 13, you know, the, 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 the first phone your daughter gets might have like better ability and color science than like the DSLR you and I use nowadays, you know, which is it's kind of so mind crazy. I mean, I know that's true. It's, I, it like starts to trip me up thinking about that kind of stuff, but I know it's, it's like where things are headed is technology just advances so quickly. And yeah, iPhone photos these days are stellar. I mean, they're, they're almost like too good. They're hyper real in a lot of ways, but they're really, really good. And on the, uh, on the inverse of that, do you shoot any film anymore? So I started on film in, when did I first get a camera? 2005, I think is when I first got my film camera. It was like a 35 millimeter. And that's all I shot for almost a decade. And then as I got more serious about photography and it kind of started to shift from being a hobby, um, is when I moved into digital. And then after that, I hardly picked up film again until recently. Um, a friend um, named Logan let me borrow his um, Mamiya RZ67. It's a beautiful and, camera. Yeah. yeah. And I just, I'd never had a good medium format camera. I had one that's like a small, fun, you know, kind of point and shoot size one. It's, it's just kind of nimble and it, it's not like it takes incredible photos, but it works but I primarily just shot 35 millimeter in my film experience. And so borrowing his, it's just such a beautiful platform. Like it's hard to explain to anyone that hasn't used or seen the camera, but like, it's just a very uh, life-giving system to use. It just feels good in your hands and the, the picture looks good in the viewfinder already. Like it, it's very cinematic looking, even just taking the photo, which isn't true of my Canon, even though I love the photos my Canon gets. It's not like when I look through the viewfinder, I'm like, oh my God, look at this. Like, um, and so it just, I, borrowing his camera last fall or whenever it was, I think it was November that he gave it to me for about a month or two. I, I fell in love and I bought my own in like, maybe it was December. Um, and I've since then, it's all I shoot with the family now when we're on trips is I don't bring out my digital camera for our trips. I just bring that. And so it's primarily been personal work on film. Um, 
I'm hoping to buy a digital back for it so that I can use it professionally as well, because just for the nature of the work I do, it's not very practical for me to shoot film in most applications, not necessarily because the medium, like the, the look of it wouldn't work, but just this type of stuff I'm doing, it would be very difficult to shoot film as a platform. And so, um, if I can get the right digital back, I think that system excites me enough and I get good photos with it because I'm having even more fun than usual. Um, I, I would love to begin to incorporate it professionally, but yeah, I'm, I'm shooting film only as of recently um, and I'm loving it again. It's just made me even more excited about photography. Um, I don't subscribe to the whole like film is better camp um, and I, I don't know, I, 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 yeah, I'm just not there, but I, I love the nature of those systems and I get why people like the artistry of it. I just think that totally, certain yeah. things work, um, and film doesn't make a photo better, but I do think it has an aesthetic and it has a, has a feel that is really fun and it, um, yeah, I'm enjoying it. And I, I think the best analogy for that, and, and I, I'm in total agreement with you is, is, you know, sometimes it feels great to drive an older manual car and just, you know, feel the mechanicals of, um, you know, like, like you are making this machine move forward. And then there's also a beauty in, excuse me, driving a modern sports car with like a dual clutch transmission and floppy paddles. And you're like, oh, this is, this is incredible. They're, they're both enjoyable to drive, but in the end of the day, that's a different craft, you know, that, that goes into, you know, the process. Um, 100%. That's a great analogy. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I guess off that, um, are there any photographers that you follow now on Instagram that you really look up to their work and are like, wow, they, they you could constantly kind of, uh, I, was, I would say that they had to blow your mind, but are, you're, you're constantly like, wow, like I, I love what the stuff they make. Um, yeah. I mean, there's a lot, um, there, there's a lot that like, a lot of my inspirations aren't necessarily in line with like what I do, which I think is weird and interesting, but I just like, I really admire their work. And I think I try and capture like the, the vibe of what they're doing, but in my own way, but like, I love a photographer like Justin Chung. Yeah. Um, he kind of, from what I understand, cut his teeth, like on a lot of menswear work um, on the editorial side and, and now kind of just like is his own thing. And I think when people go to him, he, he still shoots a lot of like lifestyle fashion stuff and things like that. But he also has his own like publication, um, like book that he does. And it, I just love the feeling of his work. He's really moved into a lot of film in the last few years as well. And his work just has such a kind of loose, um, like very documentary um, feeling to it, but it's very much like, solid commercial work at the same time. Um, and I like the stories that he tells and the kind of people he seems to photograph. Um, yeah, there's, um, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting his last name, but there's a, a menswear photographer um, named Mark um, from the UK that I love. Um, a guy that I followed on Instagram for a long time that I think he kind of like started getting serious about photography around the same time I did, but he really picked up a lot of steam in kind of the influencer world and did a great job of like pivoting into commercial work from that is this guy, Chris Ozer in New York. Um, I've just always admired his work and he, he, I don't know, he was a musician before like I was and 
Um, I love his eye. He's got like a very, very clean style like I do. And, and he, um, yeah, it, I've enjoyed following his work for the years that I have. Um, yeah, that's three. I'm trying to think if there's anyone else like right off the top of my head. I mean, I love a photographer like Jimmy Marble, but it's so different from my style. It just, but it really is fun for me to look at because he does things that I would never consider um, regarding like composition and color. Um, and a similar photographer that I um, was one of the first photographers that I ever interacted with in Orlando, um, a guy named John Paul Douglas. He yeah, I've seen his photograph. Yeah, he photographed my band like back when I was still like a musician, but was um, like we were signed to this kind of indie label and they hired John Paul to photograph us. And I loved his photos that he got of us and started following his work. And he was still local to Orlando at the time. And then he kind of got into video a little bit as well and then moved out to LA. And since then he is just killing it. I mean, he does so much work for like Facebook and all these huge companies and um, Postmates and all this stuff. But he also had that um pizza in the wild series that you may have seen on social media that yeah, was that, really interesting. that one went pretty viral yeah and so he he's just a really interesting like kind of abstract photographer that i i think he's really talented and i also know him so it's fun like seeing where he's come um because he used to like he started with like weddings and stuff and then pivoted into bands and like portraits and then pivoted into like really interesting kind of more abstract work and he is just it's so clearly is like his home base and you can tell it's where he's most comfortable he's so good yeah as i'm like staring at his instagram portfolio right now um <laughs> yeah um i i guess i guess that goes into one other question which is you know i, I do i think my, you know if i were to, to reduce the guests i have on this podcast into three categories it's it's like photographers videographers is is a good half right now and the other half is entrepreneurs and makers and shapers and designers. Um, but I, I have two photographers coming on in the next uh, two weeks, um, Aaron Brimhall and uh, Chris Burkhart. And I, I, do you have any questions for them? That no you wanna way. Kind of, yeah. Do you have any questions for them that you want to, that you want me to pass through and ask them? I Maybe I'd be embarrassed to admit this if I looked them up, but I'm not familiar with who the first person is, but I'm definitely very familiar with Chris Burkhart. Um, and wow, that's very cool. Um, I don't know. I mean, I've seen Chris speak once and he's, he's a really cool guy. It seems like, um, I, I can't remember. I think it was at like field trip or something. I went to this thing one time called field trip and I think he was one of the speakers there or maybe some, either way. Um, no, I don't know that I have any questions for him. I'm, I'd be excited to listen to him just kind of converse and, and dive into his work. I'm curious what his work looks like right now with all this going on. I, I Most photographers I've spoken with are in a similar boat to me where like, you know, I'm trying not to complain because I know that so many people have it way worse, but I do know that exactly, all of my yeah. friends like in the gig economy are all just like completely dried up at the moment. Um, and I'm grateful that one or two clients recently have been willing to like do small scale stuff that I can do on my own. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a weird time obviously for creators. And I'm just curious, like with the nature of what he does with all the travel and all the kind of like exotic things, like how that's going and like what he's probably just doing like prints and stuff, I guess. Uh, I mean, I have no idea. He has what a few books out too, which are probably like, you know, what he's doing most of. Um, That's probably true. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, so, no, he is by far the, the hardest person of anyone I talked to to nail down a time. You know, he's he's been like, yeah, I'm coming on. Um, you should figure out a time. And so it's like one of those things where I'm like, here's literally my availability <laughs> for two weeks. Just like, if you can fit in here, let me know. But, uh, you know, hopefully it happens soon. If it happens later, like I'll make sure I ask him that question. But, um, you know, he, he's a person I met a few times just from, you know, just just being in the right place, right time. Also being based in New York, like he's, you know, it's, a, it's very common most photographers come through New York at least a couple times a year. So you can usually find a place mm-hmm. where they're going to be and talk to them. But um, Aaron, uh, I just sent you on Instagram one of his photos, but he is another commercial photographer, um, mainly focused around automotive. And his style is very... Um, Oh shit, this is sick. And so, you know, I don't know if you saw the new, the latest, um, like set images from the Dune movie coming out, but like there's a lot oh, of. Oh, stop. Did I see them? I'm like losing my mind. <laughs> over but there's a lot of, like, I, I think they're very similar styles. It's very kind of like dystopian future, like lots of desert shots, lots of um, things. But he's, he's really interesting. Mm-hmm. He's, he's also a father. Um, so he has two twin, I think they're two year olds. Um, and so like, there's a lot of, and so, you know, talking to him, um, I'm really good friends with, I don't know him very well at all, but I'm, I'm good friends with one of his best friends. Um, and so it's just going to be, I have a couple questions from him, but yeah. Um, I want to make sure I, if you uh, like his work, you might like my, not to work at all. Like it reminds me of this guy that I know named Dean Bradshaw. Um, we're not like friends by any means, but we've had lunch once and he knows a good friend of mine. Um, but I've looked up to him for so long. And when I found out he was coming to lunch, I was like, honestly, like starstruck. Um, but uh, he is so, so, so good. Um, yeah, his Kenya stuff, I'm looking at a profile. Right? I, I, and I'll, and I, I do, I attach like a show notes, like a blog post with this. So I'll make sure that I, I, uh, I'll pull from you in an email later, like a bunch of stuff and some of your own work I can, I can throw on there just to get people some cool. you know, context. Um but yeah, so I, I have a couple quick questions uh, that I usually end things with, um, and, sure. and you can answer them as 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 efficiently or or long form as you want. Um, and uh, so, if you had a billion dollars that you couldn't spend in yourself, like what what problem would you want to solve? Whoa, um, shit. Dang, there's so much. I mean, it's hard for me to think outside of this pandemic in re- in regards to like other problems, which of course there are countless. I mean, the thing that's been weighing on me recently is like, I'm obviously in a really dry season of work with this pandemic, um, but I've been desperate to like try and support my friends. And it's just killing me that I can't like help all of them so totally. for me at least this is definitely an of the moment answer but i would want to find a way to do like an artist fund of some kind which i've seen a few small ones out there but good grief like a billion dollars towards artists would be so incredible it's just yeah yeah i just think like it's it's going to be hard for creators for a long time. I don't think things will be normal for quite a while and it'll it'll be kind of a really slow ramp up I would imagine. And so it's not just photographers and videographers. Like I have so many friends in Nashville and just through through all the music stuff I've done over the years that you know, it's changed everything about what they're doing as well. It's like creators of every genre. And so um yeah, I think it, at least if you gave it to me right now, that would be what I would want to do with it. 
right now. And and it's it's kind of sad that the, the way I mean it's great the the bailout uh, for the you know the, the general population we have going on right now, but it does disenfranchise freelancers and artists because it's hard for them to quantify their work in a way that can be translated into a salary that they could potentially get partially repatriated from government. Yes, yes, it, that's so tricky. Yes. Um, is there a story that your parents like to tell about you from when you were little? <laughs> Um, yeah, there's the first one that comes to mind isn't like necessarily the most enlightening or anything, but there's one that my mom for some reason brings up like all the time with different people, like just to kind of, I don't know what, how we ever get to this point, but she will often bring up that when I was in, I think it was preschool or kindergarten, it was definitely like one of those two really early kind of school grades. Um, one of the first things my teachers told my mom that I did, like it was like the first week I got dropped off there that I, I immediately came into class and right. I've always been like an extrovert and I guess like a class clown. And like one of the first things that I did, I guess, was I dropped my pants and showed everyone my Batman underwear. Like I was really, really proud of my <laughs> this, these Batman underwear that I had. And she just like loves telling people about that. I, I went to school and like pulled down my pants and like kept showing people my underwear, even after multiple times of being told to put my pants back on, like I would later pull them down again and show people, I think. So I don't have any recollection of doing it, but I, I get told about it a lot. That's a, that's an amazing story. Um, and and <laughs> it, even better if your mom took one of her, you know, photos during that story too. So you at least had something that you could you know, <laughs> hold up for that. Um, <laughs> When is the last time that you felt like truly inspired, just like you had this deep burning passion that you like nothing could get in your way to just like try something new or just, you know, feel like you want to just go out there and get it? Hmm. I mean, in some ways, this has been really inspiring, like just being stuck at home, like in, not in work ways, like I think is what you were maybe alluding to, but like. And not like in regards to my photography, like I've felt a little inspired in different small ways with photography stuff. And I've had fun like creating images, but I love cooking and baking. And it's like just such a big part of kind of like my me time. And that has been so inspiring this over this last like month and a half of just being home. Like I've spent so much time just like in the kitchen, like blasting music and drinking wine and cooking and baking and trying new recipes and things. And um, that's been really, really inspiring, but not necessarily like anything I'm creating, um, I guess. So work-wise or, or um, photo-wise, maybe like anytime I get in the studio, I feel that way. Um, I just, I've been desperate to have my own studio for years, but when I do rent one for a shoot or when I like find a day to get in there or when I'm given one for a shoot, I just like, I lose track of time. Like I just start playing with ideas and I always end up shooting way more than is necessary because I'm just like trying another thing. Like even if the client's there and it is for work, I'll like, we'll get what we're there for, but then I'll be like, Hey, can I like do this other thing too? And I'll like completely change the lighting and try it the way I have in my head. And like, I just, I get totally tunnel vision when I'm working in the studio. Um, 
I don't know if it would stay that way if I had my own. And, and again, it's been like a goal of mine for so long. And I, I may have a studio that we signed on, but we tried to sign on it right before this pandemic hit. And like, I don't know where it is in the process anymore. Um, but yeah, so who knows if I feel that kind of burning, like inspo moment every day when I'm there, if I were to have my own, but I love, 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 like feeling the freedom to kind of create anything I want in the studio. Like to me, the studio is like just a world of possibilities. Like if you're shooting on location, you're limited to the location, of course. But if you're in the studio, you can make it any location you want. It gets so much fun. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Well, that's kind of, that's not maybe one instance, but that is like a frequent thing for me. Totally still great answer. Uh, and I think it's like that idea that when you're creative, uh, which is already a dirty term in itself, just, uh, you know, like if you can keep that sandbox, uh, that sandbox like clean in the way that, you know, you always feel like you can just make a new whatever you want. And like you're, you're only limited mm-hmm. by your imagination. Like that's, I think, I think when people lose that feeling, it's usually short-sighted and doesn't happen that, that often. But um, I think that's when like yeah. creativity dies. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so going off something you said about blasting music in the kitchen, um, I know you have a newsletter as well, and, and uh, so do I. And uh, my, uh, mine comes out every Monday, um, and I feature, like, obviously this episode will be on next Mondays. And uh, one thing that I started doing with this quarantine that's been really popular is I started making a playlist. Um, and and oh, that's I, I, fun. I think everyone is, like, looking for new music now because I think that I already listened to <laughs> a ton of music, but now it's great. It's like you just, you just make it in Apple and you make it in Spotify and just send out the link. But uh, I, I just... I th- I'd love to see a playlist from uh, from you and your newsletter. So, uh... man, I should send my playlists out in newsletters for probably. Well, since we were dating, I've always in a tacky but you know cheesy fun way. I've always made playlists for yeah, my that's, wife. That's and adorable. Then, <laughs> yeah, and then as we, it used to literally be CDs for her, but then as of course like things like Spotify got more popular we started and then we got married. Like we started kind of doing them together. Like I still mostly put them together, but I do always like show them to Kimberly, like, Hey, do you like this? Do you like this? And like, I, so I used to always, when we were dating, do them seasonally. Like I'm just a romantic at heart, not literally, I mean, in romantic ways as well, but like, I just romanticize things is what I mean. Totally. And like, I romanticize the seasons a lot. And I, so when I was, when we were dating, I always made them based on the seasons. And so as I started to make these playlists in Spotify, that's how I organize them. Like I do four a year. And I, I literally work on them throughout the year. Like if something comes up on my Discover Weekly or I hear something when I'm out and I, you know, Shazam it or whatever, like I add things to the playlist based on if I think they'll fit the vibe of what I'm going for. It's so silly and overly thought out, but I love it. And no, I've do, never thought do, to yeah. send it out on uh, my uh, newsletter. I'm drooling right now at the thought of being able to like, I, whenever people, cause I spend that much time on my playlist. And so I've switched it to being like, sort of doing these epic playlists. I do these weekly aim for like hour 10 to hour 30, like kind of like something you could listen to on like a, a workout or a run or a drive. Um, mm-hmm. And I want to do some like seasonal ones, but you know, anytime anyone else is like me and puts this much effort into it, I always, I'll, I'll listen to whatever <laughs> they send me. So all I ask <laughs> is that, uh, that, that just, just make sure. Cause one thing I've learned, it's like, you know, you see much more Spotify and Instagram, but it's really split between 50-50 between Spotify and Apple. So, like, whatever you send out, just right. make sure you just, like, if you're a Spotify guy, just, like, spend the 10 minutes going to Apple Music, like, make the playlist, publish it to your profile, and just, like, drop, drag and drop the songs in there. 
Um, it just, I've never thought months. about that, but I probably should. Yeah, do it. I only have them in Spotify, but they. It, I'm looking at it now. Excuse me. It looks like the first one I have documented in Spotify is all the way back autumn of 2013, um, and then I have for a year all the way since then. So it's fun to have it kind of all still there. Sure. And you, you could tease us out. You could do one every few weeks if you wanted to, and you have plenty of content mm-hmm. to, to work with. Um, yeah. And, and I'm that person, like I'm, I'm an Apple music guy. That's just, that's just what I've always been. Cause my, I built my library on iTunes back in like Oh five and it's been the same ever since. Right. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, even if you somebody Spotify playlist, I'd still spend the time and like convert it just because that's who I am. But, uh, yeah, so totally cool. interested in getting that. Um, Next question. Uh, this is a longer one, but um, if you could send a single push notification to everyone's phone in a given area, where would it be and what would it say? <laughs> oh, man. I have no idea. I mean, good grief. Like, what do other what do other people say that? I have no idea. I mean, it usually goes one of two ways. Usually it's something altruistic about like being nice to other people or being more creative, doing something different. And then, you know, the other half of the time usually transcends into like politics, but uh, you know, so mm-hmm. um, you, you can go. That's funny. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you I can skip right it if now, you want. Yeah. It, no, I wish right now I could send one to like the neighborhood right next to ours like, just to tell them to go the F home and stop all hanging out because there's just like no one near our neighborhood is seems to be respecting social distancing. And my wife and I and the kids went on a walk like two or three days ago and walked through the neighboring neighborhood because it's like right backed up to ours. Yep. And like those literally like a five family soccer game happening. And I was so mad and just like disgusted. And it's so funny because only a month and a half ago, you'd see that and be like, oh, that's so cool and nice. But now I'm like, you a-holes, like just stop, go home. Just give us two more weeks or something. Who knows? But like, I, I don't know. Much longer, I, but... <laughs> I wish I could sit in their neighborhood one, just like passive aggressively call them out. Um, I don't know. Um and I was going to ask you a question off that that just came to, came to my head is like, so yeah, because I don't seem, know that I have a better answer than that to be honest. That's fine, but um, kind of going off that, like you seem definitely more on the progressive end for the average Floridian. Um, do you ever get like frustrated with local politics and like the 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 demographic you kind of find yourself in? Yeah, politics is is tricky for me in a lot of ways to be honest. Like I I I am a Christian and like I grew up in the church and like. I, I, my mom is like a diehard Republican and, you know, being from Tallahassee, Tallahassee is way more the conservative side of Florida than Orlando is, um, like Orlando and Miami. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, um, Orlando and Miami definitely err on like the liberal side as a whole, especially Miami, but Tallahassee very much leans a little more rural and conservative. And, and just my mom is the more outspoken one in our family. Like my dad, is a Democrat. I found that out later in life, but he's just, he's not going to get into it with my mom. They, she is just so staunchly like yeah, the Rush Limbaugh type of Sean Hannity Republican, like eats all the, you know, he drinks all the Kool-Aid and just like it, it. I think when I was first a voting adult, 
I just believed my mom and I, I kind of went along with that cause I was a pretty one, uh, um, input. Yeah. 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 And I just, I, it was, I was being told a lot of things from my mom that I kind of just took at face value. And, and as I started to look into things on my own, um, I just don't know that I agree with a lot of that. I, I don't, I don't fault anyone anymore. I, I did go through a few years as, as what I would say as like a liberal person of really being frustrated by conservative people and like not even understanding how someone could get there. But then I now don't think that as intently, like I can, I can totally understand why someone might agree with some conservative policies, but I don't understand why they could attribute those to the person that's currently in office and still stand behind that. And so, yes, I get very frustrated. I get very frustrated when I do get into political conversations with my mother, which is like about the only time that I kind of have any back and forth with anyone that is like really, really conservative. Um, that, that it's, it's hard for me to understand. Like, I'm like, I don't fault her for being Republican. I just fault her for staying behind this person. Cause I don't think that he's a good person. And I think ultimately with any politics, especially the president, like, it, I just would hope that at its core, it is a person that wants the best for everyone, not just their people. And it's so clear that that's not the case right now. And that just is so frustrating to me. And so, yeah, I, in Orlando, I think most of the people we spend time with are fairly liberal. It's definitely not like how I choose my friends or something, but I, it, it is, um, I do think it is a more liberal leaning city for sure. But yeah, my mom and I get into it frequently. We've had to literally agree. I mean, we had a conversation where we had to agree to just stop bringing it up because she'll say something and I'll just jump down her throat about it. And then she'll spout off all these, you know, falsities and it just drives me insane. Um, so we, we just agreed to, I love my mom and we've agreed to just not do that anymore. I have a similar pact to my grandmother, so um, I yeah. understand. And she and she's the Fox News four hours a day kind of person. Um, oh, my mom too. I yeah. mean, it's just we finally realized it over a family dinner one night where we, my wife and kids were there, and like my dad and mom, and and we see them frequently. And we something came up, and I was I paused the conversation, and I was because we were starting to get heated about some sort of other issue, and I was like, "Wait, mom, do you believe in climate change?" And she was like well, no, blah, 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 and had a long-winded way of saying no. And I was like, we just can't do this anymore. Like, we see the world so differently. I just, like, this was, it was like the final straw for me where I realized, like, we were not going to change each other's minds, and we were just getting upset for no reason. And and so we were just needing to agree to disagree. And, um, yeah, it just, it's been better for us not doing that. We have hardly talked politics in the last, like, two years. Um, but up until then it did come up every few months with, with Trump's whole nomination and presidency. Yeah. And, and I, I understand that too. And have had similar situations where it's just like, I'd found it better just to not talk about it with my grandmother, but I think, I think that's fine. Mm-hmm. It's like, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. Um, the, my, my only, my only rule is like, I have no problems with opinions, but when opinions begin to supersede actual, like reputable scientific fact, that is when I lose my mind. Um, but that's just same. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, that's, that's, that's life. Right. 
Um, okay, so going on that, the next question, um, is there something you believe in that most don't, or like an opinion that you hold that most would find to be controversial? I think In-N-Out is totally mediocre. Okay, tell me more. <laughs> um, I don't know, I just like, I love, um, and I'm not even one to like, try and just shit on things that people are excited about, but gosh, totally. I just like, as a not West Coaster, I'd never tried In-N-Out, and I feel like people had hyped it up to me for so long, and so when I finally was out there and finally tried it for the first time like six or seven years ago, and I've had it many times since, I just was like, this is totally fine. Like, if I had this, I would not, I would not tell anyone about it, but I would be like, yeah, this is good, but it wouldn't be good enough where I felt the need to ever tell anyone that I'd had it unless it was something popular like that. And I just think for some reason it got this weird cult following, but I think it's a totally just average fast food burger. I don't think it's special in any way. Um, and I don't get why it's popular, but people still love it. Um, so and, I, and I will, I will die on that hill. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm on the same page with you. Um, you know, I think it's still, I, I take it over McDonald's for sure. Right. Personally. Yeah. Um, yes. But uh, it's not, I think I lucky. I grew up in Massachusetts and I grew up in kind of like a bubble in the way that like my parents introduced me to the world and I, I listened to NPR with my dad when I was in middle school and stuff. But like the whole pop culture stuff, like I was always bullied, like didn't have any friends. So like I missed the boat in a lot of that. So when I was in school in Arizona, we actually had an in and out in Prescott. And one night um, I'm like sitting at my computer being like a good freshman nerd doing my homework. It's like, you know, I don't know, midnight. And my roommate's like, hey, I'm going to go grab In-N-Out and, and you do anything. I was like, what do they have? Like burgers and stuff? And he's like, what do you, what do you mean? What do they have? I was like, yeah, like what, what, is, it? what is it? And he's like, have you ever have you had In-N-Out before? I was like, no. He's like, get in the fucking car right now. And so like, that was my introduction. And, and I was like, oh, this, this is pretty good. And, and but I, I get your point. Like I've had many friends all share that same opinion as you. It's like, if it wasn't so hyped up to me, I would have been like, yeah, this is, this is, this is, this is fine. Like, this is great. Like, but I'm not going to say like, oh, I'm craving in and out. Like I have to have it. It's like, it's great. No. Um, the, the, yeah, like the burgers totally are fine. good. The shakes, I, I will admit, I think the shakes are pretty great. Um, the burgers are fine, but the fries to me are like chopped up cardboard. Um, yeah, they're horrible. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, what's, I guess what's, what's your like uh, short list of favorite fast food burgers then? Like if you'd rank them. To be honest, I'm not a huge burger person, um, but if I'm going to get one just because I had them in Tallahassee and maybe it's nostalgia, um, I love Whataburger, yep. um, but they're not available everywhere. Um, this is definitely a different class of fast food, so I don't think it's fair to put it up against In-N-Out, but I love Shake Shack. Agreed. Um, and I grew up with like yeah. one of the original Shake Shacks, and so to yeah, me, for me, exactly. it was like, but, that was my In-N-Out, right? It was like, this is... Yeah, right. and that that shits on on In and Out. So I just, you know, it just to me, it's no, there's no chance In and Out's not even on the level. But no, but um, also like Shake Shack for for a fries, a burger, and a shake, it's it's like twenty bucks, and an In and Out that's like right. six dollars, you know. Right. So definitely a different class of thing. But it, in it, like In and Out diehards always want to say it's better than even that. So that that's when I'm like, okay, this this is just completely ridiculous. Um, but I, yeah, for me, it's probably like Whataburger and Shake Shack and five guys, but I, it is so few and far between that I ever want a burger. Uh, my wife is a big, like red meat person. And I'm just like, I'm not, um, I don't know why it's like, 
I was a vegetarian for a long time, but that has nothing to do with it. Even before I was a vegetarian growing up, like my dad is, is a great cook. And so is my mom and they always cook like really good steaks apparently, but I never liked them. Um, I, I, I'm just not a red meat person. So, um, I, but if I do, I love, um, a Whataburger on occasion, like on a game day in Tallahassee or something. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's like I just have to find the right moment, and then I can really love it. So, what's your what's your death row meal then? You know, if you were given one last meal before you were to be, you know, executed, I guess in this scenario, like what, <laughs> what, 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 what um, would it be? Probably some sort of pasta. I love Italian food, um, and I love Mexican food as well. It's like. When I cook, it's usually Mexican or Italian. And when my wife cooks, it's usually something way healthier. Um, <laughs> and she's she's a better cook than I. But I I the, I like to cook our gluttonous meals. But yeah, I, there's this um, 22 layer lasagna from this restaurant in New York called Isodi um, that is probably my favorite pasta I've ever had. Um, either that or this black spaghetti with like shrimp. It's like a squid ink spaghetti oh, yeah. um, I love from uh, from uh, a restaurant in Atlanta called number 246. Um, those two those two pastas, like I could eat them every day of the week. Um, if they were available to me, like in close proximity, it would be very, very bad. I would I would eat them all the time. But I always go to 246 when I'm in Atlanta, even if it's just for a day or two. And I always go to Isodi when I'm in New York because just it it's like my comfort meal. I have to have it. I love those things. Where is that one in New York? I feel like I've been there. Um it's um what is it, West Village, I guess. It's um it's kind of down below Chelsea. Um it's gosh, what's the street that it's on? I forget what street it's, it's quaint, on. Right? It's definitely it's smaller, right? It's very small, yeah. yeah. So you have to go like wait outside for a seat because there's only, I think three or four tables that you can get reservations for and they book out months and months in advance. And I'm always there in short notice. So I can never get a reservation. Um, so I always get there about 30 minutes before they open and wait in line to get bar seating. Um, because it literally, if you're not there about 30 minutes before they open, you will not get a seat. Um, but I'll go with one or two or three people max and wait in line starting at like five o'clock for when they open at five thirty. And I always get a seat at the bar and then I always get the lasagna and a Negroni and then, um, yeah, whatever else sounds fun to share with friends, but, um, it is the best lasagna. It's, it's not like 22 layers, like in some sort of decadent, uh, grotesque sense. It's like very, very delicate 22 layers. I, I feel so pretentious describing. No, you're it. making just, me so hungry right now. <laughs> it's so good. Like I lose my mind over it. It's so good. Well, next time you're in New York, because um, I'm here at, at least once or twice a month with you know work and family. Uh, let's mm -hmm. uh, let's let's meet up there and, and have some lasagna. Bro, I am down. I'm always trying to get people to go there with me. So and then I can it. show you some of my uh, my my hidden spots of the you know like the place I've been going for years that people like I lived in New York, never heard of that. It must not be good. I'm like. Perfect. Keep making, like keep making that. Let's do it. Case. Um, Let's do it. Uh, two more, two more questions for you if you have the time. Um, yeah. First one uh, is is an easier one. Um, I do like an AMA episode for myself uh, every ten or so. Um, do you have a question for me that I'll like put on a cloud and answer during that episode that you may want you know to have me answer? Um. 
Well, I don't know a lot about your photo journey, so I'd love to like just hear kind of you know what um, what drew you to photography. I mean, I know you mentioned that your your dad did a lot of it kind of in a hobbyist sense, but like um, what kind of interests you about it? What drew you there, and and what that journey has looked like as far as kind of doing it on your own, and then um, yeah, that'd probably be my my biggest curiosity just for myself. I mean, I don't know. Um, you probably have talked about it before on the podcast, but I, I, I just would be curious to hear. Yeah. It's actually something I I've, I've mentioned in a blog post before long ago, but something I actually don't talk about that often. Um, cause nowadays I feel like everyone just assumes that, um, I, I think I look at half the people I know on Instagram and half of them I put in the category of like influencers, like don't do photography for a point other than like clout or money and the other side are like people mm -hmm. like you that do it as like an art form because there's like a deep appreciation for it right um and i think unfortunately i'm grouped into the the first category i mentioned and that's like you either learned in high school graphic design class or you like pick it up because your friend threw your camera or like you know daddy bought you a 5d mark IV. but no it's actually like a, sure. a, 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 in short like I'll, I'll go in depth i actually learned black and white film when i was uh when i was 11 um but that was just Whoa. my my thing um it was, a, it was at summer camp like who knew but uh yeah, yeah that's um, awesome. Um, I will write that down and I will answer that. And, and I'm sure we can talk about it when we inevitably meet up at some point in some city uh, yeah. after this is over. But uh, last question is, uh, where do you find peace and happiness in your current life? I mean, currently it's 100% cooking and baking. I mean, I've always been into baking. I, I started like, making pies a lot like when we first got married and there's something about like how long it takes and how meticulous it is to do to bake really fun things that i i just like love it it is it is my therapy um and so currently it's a lot of that i mean i the kids love helping me especially my son um he he loves helping he's literally zero help he's negative help he <laughs> He's really just not intentionally, but you know, just making it a lot more difficult. But it is so fun to have him help. Um, and yeah, it it's been very therapeutic and and just nice to slow down. And while, like you mentioned, things are not as busy right now, I do have plenty of work still going on, but it's maybe not as time sensitive as it was. Like that has been my refuge. Is like normally during the, the last few years, I mean, Kimberly cooks for us when we eat at home, Kimberly cooks for us like 90% of the time. And when I have a night off that I can cook, I love to help or do it with her. But over the course of this last six weeks or so, I mean, I've cooked at least three quarters of our meals and, and, and it's intricate, fun things that are way more involved than I should be doing, but it's just because I'm having fun with it. And, you know, I made like a six hour bolognese yesterday. Oh my uh, God. It, it was so good. Um, and it, you know, it took forever. I mean, it took about an hour and a half of prep and then about four or five hours of kind of slowly reducing it while it wasn't very active watching, but kind of coming back and checking on it and this and that. So, um, it was, I mean, that's like my shit right now. I'm loving it so much. Um, I, it's making me want to find ways to give myself more permission to take time off from work when things do pick back up. Because honestly, as you can probably relate, it's just, it's hard to give yourself permission to turn off yes. when you are busy. And as a 
as a freelancer, I think that that's my biggest downfall is like, I have a hard time, like just having non office hours and I'm just kind of. Uh oh, we lost you again. You were in such a good tangent too. Sorry, I think I cut out. Yeah, yeah, you cut out right after um, uh, home office hours. Yeah, so I mean, just during normal life, I very much am like always available. Like I, I'm always like going back to my office like after, you know, dinner or whatever else, and and just like kind of keep keep on grinding and if emails come in at any hour like I'm always kind of there to respond and I I want to carry over a lot of this like kind of um me time like when this is all over I think that's one thing I'm really valuing that I didn't realize how much I missed it um was kind of just time that I was checked out and like doing things for myself that weren't work and um yeah I'm I'm very very much loving it and, and how much of the baking is, uh, based on recipes or is you kind of playing around? Um, how much, how much creative, uh, license do you have in what you do? I will admit that I'm like very much a recipe person. Like I, I, my wife is way better at like just riffing on a recipe and especially cooking, not baking, but like, she's a horrible baker, but she loves to just kind of riff on a recipe and kind of take reference from things and just make her own thing and she's phenomenal but i i very much like find enjoyment out of knowing that i'm not a pro and i want to just use the best recipe out there and learn how to do it and so i totally i i like a recipe um i only have a few things i bake that like i fully feel like i came up with or kind of created from something else but more often than not i'm making a recipe like the bolognese was a Bon Appetit recipe. I did a pie for Easter that was a Bon Appetit recipe. We have a lot of cookbooks we love. Um, yeah, I, I, I love recipes, but, um, and it's funny because I'm not a rule follower by nature as we talked about, but I, yeah. something about it. Yeah, I just trust that they're a professional. And so I think that's what it is. And I, I just know that I'm not. So I, I enjoy that I can just kind of do it the best way that's out there. And I think the, the comparison and like the, the similarity I draw is that, you know, I view baking as a craft, like photography, it's an art. Right. And I think that's where oh, so much, you know, I have, I have big problem with authority and rules and laws, but when it comes to like someone that is a tried and true, you know, master of a craft, you're like, Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll listen to literally whatever they say. Like, I'll be like, great. This, mm-hmm. is, this is awesome. Uh, and it's weird how that dichotomy oh, yeah. splits up. Right. It is funny. Yeah. But I, I mean, to that point, like we've fallen in love with following recipes from Alison Roman. Um, yeah, she's amazing. I mean, she, yeah, she's like a huge cult following right now, but we, my brother, I think maybe is who told me about her a few years ago. And she's just like, she appeals to so much of what my wife and I love from cooking. And so we, that's been like our um, drug of choice recently is making a lot of her recipes, both from her books that we have. And also like from her time with Bon Appetit and New York times. Um, yeah, we've made a lot of her stuff in the last six weeks or so. Have you ever, uh, like read or looked at the book, um, how to bake everything by Mark Bitterman? No. 
Um, there's, a, there's a podcast I recommend to you. Um, he has a few with Tim Ferriss, actually. Um, but I think his background, he's a journalist. But like one of his his big thing is like he realized he liked books more than journalism, started writing books, and he like didn't know anything about baking. But he like became a master in it and just like made his, made his life's like side work and wrote this book, How to Bake Everything, Simple Recipes for the Best Baking. Um, and uh-huh. it's been recommended to me because I'm also like – I'm the person that when I was in college – and I was 19 years old. My mom was like, what do you want for Christmas? And I was like, I want a KitchenAid mixer. Uh, and she was like, yeah, okay, <laughs> that's fine. I'll get it for you. But like, are you sure? And I was like, yeah, that's what I want. Um, and th- th- yeah, I, I, I highly recommend this book to you. I think you're going to get a lot out of it. Dude, okay. Cool. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think he has a couple other things like that. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I think um, so. Would a dream project for you be then being able to do like the full creative direction and photography for like a baking cookbook? Would that be like a dream project? To be honest, yes. I mean, like I have been dying to shoot a cookbook for some time. I mean, whether it's baking or just you know um, more sustenance-based recipes, I I. I would love to shoot a cookbook. I have a friend um, who I, I admire his work a lot. He's in Atlanta. His name's Andy Lee. And he um, he's kind of what inspired me getting into food and beverage as I began to pursue it. I was really looking to his work for a lot of inspiration. And, and we later became closer friends. But um, he does a lot of cookbook work now. And it just, I know it's probably not as fun as it seems to me, but wow, it seems so fun. Um, and so I just, the idea that you can create something in print is always fun, but also like that your style, you can kind of come up with some sort of visual style that can be like the language of an entire huge work, like body of work seems really, really fun. Um, I don't know. And, and I love partnering with chefs. I mean, right now when I shoot food and beverage at restaurants, like that is the fun part about it is just sitting there and being creative with a good chef or a good bartender or whatever else and um, helping them kind of bring something to life that's so permanent. Um, that just, I don't know. Like, uh, yes, it would be a dream project is all I'm getting at. It'd be so fun. So there's a person that um, when we have this uh, lasagna uh, party, down in New York whenever we were allowed to again. <laughs> um, there's a person, one of my, one of, a good friend of mine, uh, she lives in New York as well. She's a, like a few years older than me. She's like 27, 28. Um, but uh, long story short, one of my best friends growing up uh, moved to New York after college, like lived in, like moved into a fucking broom closet, like literally like an eight by eight room, paid a grand to like live uh-huh. in a high line and like a tiny ass room. But one of his roommates was, um, her name's Heath Goldman. And she like, funnily enough, uh, is the daughter of uh, one of my dad's best friends from college. Uh, and that was like oh, super oh. serendipitous, right? Um, not only the yeah. fact that like her dad and mom both went to Williams with my dad and both graduated in the same class, but also my dad's second wife also is from the same Williams class. So it was like very, very <laughs> yeah. serendipitous. But yeah, so she she actually graduated a degree in journalism and then decided she liked cooking way more. So went to culinary school and now worked at pure wow for a few years, but now it's the food network. And I know she's been trying to get wow. a, a cookbook off the ground. So I will absolutely introduce you to, cause I think you two would have a lot of fun. Um, man, that'd be awesome. Making yeah. stuff. Yeah. She's, she's, she's cool. And she's like the kind of person where it's like, uh, I remember the first, when I was still getting into like getting better at photography 
she was like, Hey, can you come take photos for my site? And it was like, I, it, I, when you were talking about that earlier where you were taking photos and you're like, Oh God, I could do so much better than this. So that, that restaurant in California, yes. it was like, I was like, okay, let's start in the morning. So we get like full bright sun during the day outside. Exactly. Great. Didn't finish till like 5 PM. Sun is setting. It's January. It's like terrible blue light. And like the plates blue and the food's yellow. And I'm just trying to, <laughs> trying to, I was like, this is not, and I didn't have any lights. Uh, and afterwards I, I basically had the same realization. I was like, I should learn lighting. Um, but I never did. Anything yep. about it. <laughs> so, um, you know, may, maybe, maybe I'll do that. But I think if I were to summarize my style, most of the time, it's like I'm going to the mountains with friends hiking. And so most of my stuff mm -hmm. is around natural light. And then also being such a space nerd and going to school in Arizona where you have such like clear view of the sky at night. Um, I got really into astrophotography and I think that's something that, that, um, it's definitely, Dude, definitely a lost sick. art, but, uh, yeah, I mean, do you, do you have anything else that you want to talk about? I think this this has been a really fun uh, conversation. I just want to be conscious of your time, um, but uh, I, I no, I think I'm good. I mean, I I enjoyed it a lot as well. Yeah, I think we covered a lot. Um, I'm happy to answer anything else if you think of it. But yeah, I'm otherwise I'm really happy with kind of where we landed. Yeah, uh, I I am too. I mean, unless you have any advice, I, I guess yeah. So. If you have, if, if there's someone out there listening to this, maybe, you know, not listening to this, maybe hears about it, you know, whatever in the future, because uh, once it's only chance, it's forever, right? Um, <laughs> someone younger, maybe. Um, I, so I usually ask the question about like, oh, if they're a young photographer, but I think I'm going to switch it up for you. It's like um, someone in college or in high school that's like pursuing a path that they love, but they don't think that they'll make it they're like, they haven't found their like true passion or profession yet. Like any, any words of advice you have for them? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I think when I first went freelance, for instance, I, I think I, I subscribed to the idea that like I was on a high. And as it started to work, I, I was really in the camp of like, everyone should be freelance and everybody should pursue their passion. And, you know, no one should be working for the man kind of thing. And, and I think that's I still so, believe that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a little toxic in some ways, at least the way I looked at it. Like, I think in hindsight, the way I was kind of saying it was wrong. And I, I've come to agree that like, yes, in a best case scenario, it would be amazing for everyone to be like pursuing something like that. But the reality is like, it, it, not everyone is going to be able to make it work for one reason or another. And like, I, that's, there's a lot of nuance there, but I, I just think that like, it's not all skill and that, to paraphrase kind of what I've come to believe. I just don't think that like, for whatever reason that it's going to always work out for everybody to be able to do that. And, but I think that everyone needs hobbies and like, I, I think that you die a little inside when you don't have things outside of your profession that give you life. And so like, if you're one of the lucky ones that like your profession does give you a lot of life, like that is incredible. And it's such a gift and it's very, very rare, I think. Um, and I, it's wonderful for everyone to aspire to that. But in the meantime, I just think it's so valuable for everybody, whether or not you're in that camp to have things that give you a lot of life outside of your work. And, um, that's why I still 
love baking and pursue it a lot in my personal time. And I love, I don't know, just dumb things. Like I, I love playing paintball and like, it's so stupid and weird. And I just like, I love have that. so much yeah. fun. Yeah. And I have so much fun with it. And like, it's very I Floridian of you. <laughs> it is, it is. I can acknowledge that, but it's just like, um, I just, I, I hope that everyone continues to kind of pursue their silly dumb things on the side and allows themselves the freedom to like just make stuff with no purpose of turning it into work um because i think we're in a really weird time where everyone gets into something and i've done this so many times so i'm not just like speaking at people but like where you start doing a thing and you're like oh my gosh what if i you know when i first started baking pies after about six months of really doing it all the time, I was like, I should open a bakery. Like I could do a bakery and it could be this and this and this. And like the more I fleshed it out and I, the more I kind of went down that road, the more I was like, no, this wouldn't give me life anymore. If I turned it into a business, like I should totally. keep yeah. baking for me and baking is going to be my thing and not everyone else's. And like, I just, I think that there's a lot of value in having things that you're not trying to monetize and you're not trying to pursue as like your career. And if it ever pivots that way, wonderful. But like, I don't think that the goal of every little thing you get into personally should become like your professional being. Um, yeah. I think that's really sound advice, especially because there are a lot of people that are at home and trying to reinvent themselves in a time where they might be laid off or working less. Um, you know, and like my dad's one of those things where he, he's an architect. Um, and he went down to half hours. Cause like, you know, if there's not people around to build things or people around to pay for things, like there's not mm -hmm. going to be stuff to design. And so his big thing actually is like, he started playing guitar recently and he's like getting more and more oh, into that's it. Awesome. And, uh, so he'll like, he'll like sit at, on his, at, at the dining room table. Cause my stepmom's in the living room and I'm upstairs, uh, just, you know, social distancing and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. but, uh, he'll sit there during a meeting with, uh, like a guitar in his lap and put himself on mute and just like strum away. And I'm like, yeah, I, I love seeing that. Right? <laughs> That is awesome. Uh, uh, yeah, and so I think that that's fantastic advice, and and that's that's the same way I approach photography. It's like I've never pushed it to becoming like a paid thing. I just love it because I genuinely love doing it. And if it's one of those things that one day I happen to just fall down a path where someone's like, "I love your style," like come shoot this thing, I wouldn't say no, right? But I'm not gonna be like, right? You know, I I, th I think especially because nowadays everyone with a camera thinks they're a professional photographer suddenly, and you know, I I yes. I like to look at my work. Like I like my Instagram. I, I think, you know, maybe one day I'll sell prints or something like that. But I mean, my, I, I mainly do it for like my main reason I got into photography was because I just loved capturing moments of time. And I, I've always been obsessed with yeah. time. And then later on in life, it's really been this, you know, my sister is an anthropology major and I had a chance to go down. She was studying abroad in Chile, uh, this past, uh, last spring. Dang, that's sick. And, uh, I went down with my mom, we visited her and we had a chance to go to Rapa Nui, which is, you know, Easter Island out, out in the middle of the Pacific, which is still a, a mainly, you know, like indigenous island that was imperialized, like the same story you hear all around the world. And, you know, she was, she asked me very nicely. She's like, can you not bring a camera? And I, and I was like, well, why? She's like, I, I just hmm. don't think it's, it's, it's fair to these people that, you know, were taking advantage of their homeland for tourism reasons. And, you know, I, I understood where she was coming from, but my, my response to her was the same I gave to everyone. It's like, 
the reason I still shoot now, mainly outdoors, is to remind people that like the world that we have is is precious, and um, that you know we have to do everything we can to conserve and protect this planet. And there are many places around the world in inverse that many people will never have the chance to go to. Um, or like Easter Isles, those ones mm-hmm. that, you know, Rapa Nui, that is, uh, even if you have a chance to go, like you might not go, right? Um, not because mm-hmm. you don't want to, but it's just, it's far out of the way. But, you know, this idea that you can show people the world out there. And I think I'm going to steal from a Delta commercial um, when they say, you know, <laughs> we believe the the world gets smaller the more you get out into it and like i'm a big believer in that and is that the more you know if if you know when asked that question to me when i when i was first asked that question like if you had a billion dollars what would you do um you know and that's when i started asking other people that question uh i basically said something very plain like i have some family from you know deep south like huntsville alabama um winston-salem north carolina and i've met some people that are not the nicest people and definitely um, you know, don't hold the, the most nice opinion towards other people different than themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I said, I would love to create a nonprofit where we would take people that grew up in, in small towns with no resources and be able to take them to a place around the world that that isn't what they're used to. So I take someone from rural Alabama to like rural sub-Saharan Africa and basically say like, look, like go, like it's time to experience other culture, see something else. And I think that we would, I think going on that trend, like I think people learn a lot from other cultures and realizing that like, Hey, like there is like the American way of life is not the only way to live. You know, it's like, you're absolutely. Not, you're not a lesser, you're not a lesser being in this world because you don't like have a house and a car. And, and, and I think in this, in this moment, it's like, we're lucky. Most, most people in this country have like a home uh, that they can go home to with running water. And, you know, there's at least like a grocery store they can go and, you know, risk getting COVID with a face mask on to go get food if they want to. But like, there are many places around the world, like if this ever got super bad in India, which is trending to right that way, like this week, which is terrible, like it's going to wipe out mass amounts of people. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. We live a very privileged life for sure. We do. And, and I think that it's a good reminder ever so often to, to push that into myself, but kind of where I was going with this all, all in all is like, I think it's really important that, you know, I've encouraged a lot of my friends. I've had friends who've been like, yeah, I love sewing, man. I was like, dude, then like fucking buy a sewing machine for Amazon. Like now is the perfect time. Like go buy some fabric right. and just make some shit. Right. It's like, you know, make something every day. Right. Um, something my mm-hmm. stepmom is doing right now. Um, and I, and I think that's really cool. It's like, it doesn't matter if you can I'm actually making something like make a video or, you know, clean up some stuff or make a new style or, or, you know, clean up something or make a new process. Like, I think that, you know, we are a species of creators and when it comes down to it. Right. And I think that, you know, the, the future that I subscribe to in the same vein of a guy named Val Ravikant is the idea that eventually machines will take over all the menial tasks that everyone will be left to just do creative things. Um, and I, I, to me, that's like a beautiful idea of the future where, you know, wouldn't it be great if all the menial tasks of hard labor and day labor were replaced by, you know, machines that could do it more efficiently. And then everyone else is left to, you know, bake and create and make and make things better for other people, you know, and I think that that's something I look forward to. And I know it's very, very ideal and probably unfortunately never going to get there, but you know, it's something nice to think about. Yeah, if it works out that simply, I would love that. I I do agree that that seems like 
the dream scenario, you know, for, cause I know AI will eventually and robotics will eventually replace so much. And if it, if it can be as, as, um, kind of, uh, convenient as that, it would be wonderful. Yeah. And I think, um, one thing I was reminded of before this, I mentioned to you, um, but, um, I was on a, I was on a call. Uh, it was like a zoom con a zoom kind of showcase with, uh, a design firm I used to work with called Collins. Um, and they had Richard Daney on there, who is the guy who designed the worm logo, which NASA just switched back to this past week. Um, and I learned for the first time as everyone on the call that, um, and, I, and I, I've been a big fan, like the standards manual I've had on my desk for years. Um, but when they won the NASA project, they were a small firm in New York City with five people, including the receptionist. And they Jeez. won that entire redesign of NASA, which has become like arguably like one of the most popular and well-known logos of all time. Um, and so I think that's a good reminder of being like, you don't have to have some massive, efficient, ridiculous shop or corporation or entity to, to make serious, positive change and impact people's lives. Like you can do it as a single. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I think that's, that's, that's something I've reminded my friends all day. It's like, you want to do something, do it. Like the worst thing that happens is mm -hmm. you end up failing and learning from it. Like that's the worst thing yep. that happens. So. Sweet. No, I agree. Great, man. Well, uh, thank you very, very much for, um, coming on. Uh, yeah, I'm, man. I'm, I'm stoked to publish this. I, I've had a really nice conversation and, uh, I look forward to, uh, lasagna in the West village with some, uh, <laughs> we, we, your friends meet my friends and we can all, you know, uh, yes. have a good time. But, uh, yeah, man, otherwise, um, hope you and your family have a good safe rest of your, uh, your quarantine. And, uh, you know, let me, let me know what you get. I, I think, uh, I I've seen some of the baking on your stories, but, um, you know, I think I'd challenge you to like, I would love to see some, some, you know, your quality level shots of some of the stuff you're baking. I think that'd be really cool. <laughs> I should, I I'll play around with it maybe next week when um, things slow down a little more, but yeah, I would love to do the same. So I'll get there. Cool, man. Well, thank you very much again for coming on. And uh, I really enjoyed uh, talking with you. Yeah. Likewise. Thanks Rob. Absolutely. Have a good day. See ya. I hope you all very much enjoyed this conversation with myself and Patrick Michael Chin. You can find him online at Patrick Michael Chin. You can find myself online, as always, at Rob Auchincloss or robauchincloss.com. Maybe in the future I'll find a shorter URL, but for now, rma.com is taken. Goodbye.